This podcast, Arts at Nine, is coming to you from the Sudbury Theatre Centre in Sudbury, Ontario, Canada. It was originally broadcast on the community radio station CKLU 96.7. Weekly, it delves into the art scene in Sudbury with interviews, music by local musicians, shout-outs to local artists, and, of course, a fascinating featured guest. Today, you'll meet social dance instructor Jan Fregonese, Stephanie Pichet, owner of the restaurant and wine bar Wander Food and Wine, as well as featured guest Denise Vitale, iconic ballet and modern dance instructor. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Arts at Nine on CKLU Radio, where it's all about the arts in Sudbury, Ontario. I'm your host, Judy Strawn, and we kick off today's show in conversation once more with John McHenry, Artistic Director of the Sudbury Theatre Centre. John, here we are back at the Sudbury Theatre Centre in your cozy little recording studio, and I must say I have been excited all week because I know today is about dance. And wine. Dance and wine. We cannot that, forget the wine. That's why you're really excited about the wine. I'm excited <laughs> to know more about you and dance because I think you're a dancer. Well, I, I can dance. I'm, I'm not formally trained. So, you know, I can bake cakes, but I wouldn't call myself a baker. So what is your forte in dance? What do you do well? well? well my forte is tap. Yeah, and I really enjoy it, you know. I've had to play, I've played Bill Snipson in Me and My Girl four times. Wow. And he has a great tap dance at the beginning of the show, so it's, uh, it's a favorite. So if I ask you to get up and tap right now, is that a possibility? No. It is. It is really? Oh, good for you. Well, I do see you have your tap shoes on. <laughs> so you are more a musical theater dancer. I am a musical theater dancer, absolutely. And how did you become a musical theater dancer? Well, you know, being, being a male who can move and doing community theater, you were in the show, which is great for, for us guys. Mm -hmm. So I, I just fell into it and just learned by doing, working with you know the great Alan Lund, Peter Hamilton from New York, Ted Forlow from New York. So I had some great directors down in St. Catharines and just learned from them. Those are absolutely big names. Big names, huge names. And you must have a natural talent. I guess so. Well, my mom was a dancer. So maybe I got it through her genes. Maybe you did. <laughs> you must have, having been in, in musicals and knowing what the lighting is like in theater, did you ever have any dancing disasters oh. where you couldn't see what was happening? Or? I've had a couple. One here at STC, sitting in the green room alone, hearing the opening bars of a big dance number, wondering where everybody else is. And of course, I missed my cue. And then, it, you know, in St. Catharines, the time when you end up center stage in just your dance belt because you didn't make it from one costume change to the next. You are kidding me. I, 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 I'm not kidding at all. Now, you have to tell our listeners, not everyone knows what a dance belt is. Could, <laughs> could you please describe a dance belt? Oh, dear. Well, it, it gives men support where we most need it. And that's all you're saying? Is that good? <laughs> it is. So I want everyone now to close their eyes and a use picture. their imaginations and see John in this little thing that gives him support and, and being out on stage on with stage, that on. In a nude dance belt, so you look completely nude. 
So did you get lots of phone calls after that? Well, luckily it was just, luckily it was dress rehearsal. But no, no phone calls. Strange. (laughs) Darn. Have you ever fallen off the stage? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, well, not fallen per se. It was opening night of me and my girl in Hamilton and singing Leaning on a Lamppost. And I had to cross from stage right to stage left. And I started too far downstage and just casually walked off the edge of the stage, still singing. And under my feet was was a um, a, a uh, oh like a a road case on wheels, only like three foot square, right in front of the drummer. I can see the drummer's face right now. He wondered what on earth had happened. And I just landed square on this road case, still singing. And it wasn't until I got back up on stage where Bill has to read a telegram that I started to shake and, you know, realize what the hell I had just done. And I'm surprised that case, because it would be on casters, didn't slide right into the drummer and destroy the entire orchestra. I'm lucky to be here today. (laughs) (laughs) And and we are lucky to have you here today. Well, that's a great story. Um, I did see a documentary recently called Fear of Dancing, and I had no idea until I watched it that there is an actual label for it. It's called chorophobia and there are some people so fearful of dancing that they can never do it and many shouldn't if you've (laughs) seen wedding videos (laughs) well many shouldn't and you know one of our guests today jan when she comes in uh, maybe she can tell us a bit about what it is like (laughs) to work with people who have fear of dancing or simply can't dance absolutely we'll find that out but in the meantime let's find out who's on today's show Okay, so as you just said, we have social dance teacher Jan Fregonese, ballet and modern dance legend Denise Vitali, wander wine and food with Stephanie Pichet, and lots of dance music by local Sudbury artists. And now it's shout out time. John, today's shout out comes from a very proud grandma, Louise Sutcliffe. But before you read it, Louise's son Dan was a Sudbury dancer who appeared in such shows as Miss Saigon with Mervish Theatre in Toronto in Stratford's West Side Story. And he performed in the Tony Award-winning play Contact by Susan Stroman and more. You don't get much bigger than that. Dan Sutcliffe, a Sudbury dance success story. But today's shout-out is for his niece, 18-year-old Maeve Bellefontaine. Here's what proud grandma Louise Sutcliffe sent us. This is my shout out to my talented granddaughter, Maeve Bellefontaine, and to all the kids who devoted themselves to dance while growing up. We are very proud of all of you. Maeve began dancing when she was four and participated in over 10 years of competitive dancing in groups and as a soloist in ballet, lyrical, contemporary, and acro. She had the opportunity to work with Canadian and international choreographers and has received several awards. At nine years of age, she was accepted into the summer program at the National Ballet in Toronto. She has performed in touring concerts and in local fundraisers for charities. And during the past two years, she has passed on her love of dance, teaching students at Dance Evolution. 
This is my shout out to my talented granddaughter, Maeve Bellefontaine. And our, our proud grandmother, Louise Sutcliffe, is. And there are so many proud grandmothers out there and proud family members as their kids go through that whole process. Oh, absolutely. And I'll just give a shout out to my proud grandmother, who was very proud of her eldest grandson. That's me, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I was guessing. Who could that be? <laughs> now, did your grandmother see you dance often or not? Oh, yes. Yeah, she saw me in, in a few shows in England before I came to Canada. Oh, I, didn't, I did not realize. For some reason, I thought when you came to Canada, you started theater, but you started it over in England. I did. Well, you have a proud grandma, and, and I'm a proud grandma, too, although yes. I must say my granddaughter did quit dance, but <laughs> she's in gymnastics now, but that's okay. Now, John... It is time to dance, and we'll start slowly, you and I together, with a waltz. When I was looking for a waltz, I came across a talented Sudbury country and western singer, Matt James, whose popularity has exploded. In 2019, Matt James won the Best Country Americana Album of the Year. Sudbury's Matt James is a member of the Metogamy First Nation, is a multi-award winner, a multi-instrumentalist, singer, and songwriter. He was nominated for the Upcoming Star, Best Country Americana Album, and Best Video Concept. And he was competing with thousands of people and ended up a winner. Wow. John, let's have a waltz to Matt James' A Miner's Prayer, which he wrote for his late father. There's more to this life than digging dirt Risking your life for all it's worth I take a knee and pray to God Lord, keep me safe and keep me strong Give me the strength to carry on At the end of the day, all I ask of you to bring me home I still want to hear my children laugh I still want to hear my babies cry I give all I got just to keep my will to survive This place is dark and it sure is it's the only life that I know for me is this dark and dreary hole deep in the ground. Now these bones of mine, they're getting old. They're worn and tired from this heavy load. There's not much left to me, all I
the dust is gone I can keep my feet on the solid ground But I'm afraid my time here on earth has come and gone And at the end of my life All I ask of you is to carry me home I'm Danica Mercier, a sound technician, and you're listening to Arts at Nine on CKLU 96.7. Now that we've had a slow dance to Matt James, a minor's prayer, and John is having a recovery break, it's time for a glass of wine, and what better place than Wander Food and Wine on Durham Street in downtown Sudbury. It's a chic, globally inspired lounge where you experience other cultures through food and wine. Specializing in tapas, small plates, and an eclectic wine list, Wander will become your favorite local escape and mini-holiday. Thanks to Downtown Sudbury BIA for connecting us with Stephanie Pichet, chef, cooking instructor, wine educator, travel presenter, blogger, and host of the Flying for Flavor podcast. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Uh, thank you. That was quite the long introduction, but thank you for having me. You are not busy at all, are you? No, never busy. This is actually a wonderful break for me from the middle of the day. Oh, good. Well, we'll drag this out as long as, as, possible, long as possible so you can be relaxed. What inspired you to open your new Wine and Wander boutique? I have uh, been, uh, I want to say researching because that um, makes it sound too formal. I have been visiting wine bars around the world for many years. Uh, at, during my travels are usually revolving around food and wine. And while I was going to all these places, I was always kind of envisioning that it was something that was missing in the culinary landscape here in Sudbury. And with more and more people that were traveling and they were coming home and looking for those same examples of what they found when they were away, I thought it was a perfect opportunity and it was something that was always in the back of my mind and when the space opened up and it was exactly the size and almost exactly the layout and it already had a kitchen it was uh I felt figured it was fate and it was meant to be it was meant to be Mm -hmm. and it's it's right downtown where we can find we can spend a whole evening bar hopping food hopping and you are right in the center of it all it's always about location uh how did you You've come up with some unique flavor combinations because you world travel. So how do you come up with what you are actually going to present to the public? I think it's more about the actual dishes that I may have inspired me while I was away. So sometimes it starts with the wine 
that I love and then I find a food that or a dish that actually goes well with that particular item or sometimes it is just a particular dish that I sort of took pictures of while I was away and it brought back great memories and I can actually tell a story about the wine and the food that goes together especially during the classes that we teach I find that as opposed to just giving people instruction or telling them that you should be tasting this or seeing this or smelling this telling a story that goes along with the location where the dish or the wine came from and the memories that it invoked and the things that I saw, it creates this entire picture in their minds so they can actually feel like they were there with me. So your wine classes, are they right on your location on Durham Street? They are. Uh, we During the uh, COVID shutdown, which was uh, temporary, obviously, we actually put them online for a virtual version of it. And we're starting this coming week where the Tuesday classes, we're going to have them not just in person for those who get to come and eat and drink with us. But for those who want to do it at home, you'll be able to do it by Zoom starting next week. So live classes starting next week. Yes. And uh, how, do, how do people get hold of you if they want to take... Yeah, uh, everything is available on our website, um, wanderfoodandwine.ca, or they can go directly through the Facebook page. You can buy tickets directly there as well. Or if you happen to be downtown Sudbury, you can stop in during any of our business hours, and you can actually purchase tickets and pick up a schedule at that time. With your cooking classes, you're not teaching people how to cook a dinner you're probably teaching people how to cook a special something are you or? yeah I'm not teaching cooking in uh, at Wander I used to teach cooking uh, back in the day uh, there's not enough space here in the time and uh, to be honest most people are just coming to visit me to eat and drink and for me to cook for them <laughs> I'm not kidding it's oh, usually it's that it's their kind night, of cooking it's class. usually night of their way it's yes it's usually more about the wine and food pairing that they're coming to learn uh, learning about more about the wines that they love from a particular wine region or country and then the foods that go with them so they get to actually sample the pairings together and then I send them home with the wine shopping list so they can recreate it later. Oh, that's fantastic. You see, I'm drawn to that where I can watch you cook. <laughs> I can learn from watching you, and then I just, my job is to eat and drink. That's, I, I would never want it any other way. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, what would surprise guests who are coming to your space for the very first time and they walk in, what would surprise them? I think because of the size of the place, it is quite small. I like to use the word cozy. I think that's the right, proper real estate term, right, is when it's something's very small and only so many seats. So atmosphere um, is probably one of the biggest compliments that we get, that they feel relaxed when they're there. It's maybe fancy, but you don't feel like it's overly formal. And I think they're surprised at how many different wines that we have in such a small space and how often it changes. Uh, it's a little overwhelming to people if they're not completely familiar with that format. Um, but we like to keep it relaxed and fun, and our staff really love what they're doing and they love talking about food and wine and uh, it really creates a fun atmosphere so it feels more like an evening out than just stopping in for a glass. During this these COVID times that mm -hmm. we're all living with um, I noticed that you have lots of tables for two. Mm -hmm. What happens if you get a group of six that wants to come in together? Well just the old-fashioned way we pull our little two tops together to make a six. Uh, we've been having groups about up to six uh, quite often since we reopened. Um, there's only about areas for four socially distanced table sets. So that's caused some issues sometimes for uh, groups that wanting to come in um, if they're too large. We've never had the space for that size of a group anyhow. Uh, so we have space for four groups of various sizes from two all the way up to about six or eight. Eight is a little tight, um, but if it's a full family or a social bubble, it works fine. Mm -hmm. uh, would you recommend uh, 
calling you ahead and seeing if you have space or could I just drop in if I happen to be downtown? I think what? it depends on the time and the time of day, um, especially because we're only open for evenings right now. I, um, we have a reservation online system, which is so easy to use and it's just a matter of going online um, and booking your table you get a confirmation from us directly so even if we didn't have room you would get an email from us with a suggested other time it makes it a lot easier that way and I think that means a lot to us during this I'm going to say whole COVID year because it's not going away very quickly you opened your restaurant just before the COVID times uh, you're laughing right now mm-hmm. It must have been really something to be so geared up to have put so much work into it, and then all of a sudden the rug gets pulled out. How did you survive? Well, um, by coincidence, my husband and I had bought the building, and the actual sale went through about a month before. So uh, we are our own landlords, which I think has been a blessing, right, not having to deal with that. Um, We had a couple of rental suites upstairs, which we didn't get to really rent during COVID time as well. Uh, But we had, because... It is ours, and I actually physically work there all day. Uh, And also because our staff had other jobs outside of working with us, that I was not their only source of income. So that's what's always been the stress for me during this time was how do I keep the staff employed so that their families, you know, are taken care of as well as our own. And it just it just worked out the way that it did. Um, I think there was only one staff member. She ended up moving to Alberta with a a friend of hers who is also going to go and look for another career at some point. Uh, So we miss her terribly, but we completely understand that she had to go and go where the work was. Mm. It sounds like everything's falling into place. Thank heavens. Mm. Um, You're flying for flavor podcast why flying for flavor and tell us about your podcast it is uh, all about traveling for food and wine Uh, I thought at the beginning or I actually I wouldn't say that I thought I suspected that there were more people out there besides just myself who uh, choose locations uh, based on food and travel and they um, for food and for wine um, trying different restaurants there are a subculture out there uh, not necessarily here in northern Ontario but I know throughout the world who basically just travel to places to eat at Michelin star restaurants uh, I am not that person I do not have that cash flow opportunity but I have been excitedly been able to try many different Michelin star restaurants throughout the world and there are so many different Um, Not just restaurants, but techniques. Um, There are uh, different travel stops and travel tips that I've learned along the way after all these years of traveling that I figured that people just love talking about food, talking about wine, and talking about travel. So I figured it was about time that we had one that was combining all of those favorite topics, and it was something from Northern Ontario for a change. You have absolutely been able to bring your passions together uh, are you still doing the catering? I don't have time for that. As you can imagine with all of the um, comp- the things after my name, uh, the catering part of things, I consider that selves. I'm catering to you when you come to my establishment. And I have um, created more of like at-home wine kits that people can kind of create their own wine things at home. So that's probably the extent of the catering that I can do right now. But who knows where the future holds? Um, we said 2020 turned out to be kind of the uh, upheaval in a year for me. So maybe next year? We'll see. 
who knows, but I can see you're up for whatever is going to happen. And all the best of luck to you with Wander Food and Wine on Durham Street. It's been such a pleasure to have you here. I do hope everyone will get out and check it out because it sounds, just hearing you talk about it with such passion and and knowing also your reputation in food, uh, I think it's the place to go. Thank you, Stephanie Pichet. Thank you for having me. And now, as John McHenry and I prepare for another dance and a chat with dance instructor Jan Fregonese, here's a tango by the Guitar Alive Trio, Philip Candelaria, Gary DeSalle, Paul Dunn, from their album Latin Café. Listen to Tango de Ramon. That was Guitars Alive Trio from their album Latin Cafe. John and I didn't do quite as well dancing the tango as we did the waltz, but we are about to fix that. 
Our next guest, Jan Fregonesi, a social dance teacher, started her dance career in 1995. A few years later, she earned her international diploma as a certified instructor in ballroom and Latin dance. She offers both group and private lessons. Jan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Did you feel like dancing when you heard that? Yes, yeah, because um, the music, it's really inspiring, you know, right away. Do you think that you could teach John McHenry and I to do the tango? Well, sure. <laughs> well, I'm sure. I was sure, exactly. Where would you start? First of all, I, I, like, I take a, a good position, okay? And when you're, uh, you're embracing together, right away you can feel the, uh, the motion and the lead. So then slowly you wait for uh, the man to lead and, and then you just follow because it comes to you and uh, he can uh, transport you where he wants to go. What would happen as you set John McHenry and I up to dance if both of us wanted to lead? That's the problem, yeah. No, we cannot do that. It's like uh, when you drive and you have two drivers. You can't uh, both be on the steering wheel, that's it. So we, as, as a leader, yeah, we have to be very clear, okay? And uh, as a follower, we have to be able to wait because the lead, when it comes, then you can take off, okay? Because uh, the man comes to you and he shows you how to walk. That's it. Well, so this is interesting, and I'm sure we could just talk all day about this, because it strikes me that in dances, it is the man who's the leader. Yes, we, we should uh, always consider that. Like uh, we have uh, ladies, they sometimes they think they will help the man by trying to lead. And I say, no, 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 wait, wait. And you can have fun that way because somehow you have to put yourself together to be like a one block. When somebody starts and you start maybe before, you break the connection. Have you ever been faced giving dance lessons to people who simply can't dance? Well, it happens that some people, they come in and they say to you right away, I cannot dance. Well, first of all, I say, just smile and think that you're here to have fun. So uh, somehow you have to break the ice because people, they're very nervous. And to, to try to dance when you cannot feel the music or you don't even know how to start, how to do it, sure, it's a really uh, bad feeling. So first of all, I try to get them to relax. And then I say, okay, just move a little bit. Sometimes I say you can just tap your feet, your, your toes a little bit. You can clap your hands and it's somehow you can see them trying to move, you see? And then slowly, then I, I will say, okay, now let's try to uh, move with the steps, like one step at a time. 
And you know, I find that before they realize, they can dance. It doesn't have to be fancy at the beginning. It can be very simple. But I think we have to um, make them feel more comfortable, more relaxed, because otherwise they, they will never attempt the dance. And I suppose if they weren't game to try, they wouldn't be, they wouldn't have shown up at the class. So they must have some little desire to do it. Somehow they would like to try, but they're very shy, you see. And when they come, uh, the best thing is uh, to make sure that they are not uh, uh, nervous, okay? And, uh, and get to things very easy, very simple. That's why. Uh, you work with a lot of seniors. Yeah. I'm just curious. Do you happen to know the oldest person you've ever taught to oh dance? Oh, God. I tell you honestly, they, my senior, they give, they give me their heart all the time. I had a lady that she was uh, 93, and uh, uh, one day I wanted to um, demonstrate the waltz, and uh, I was looking around, and she said to me, well, I, I can uh, be your partner. And you know, it was so beautiful because uh, the feeling, they, they look so relaxed, so beautiful, that they give uh, support, like uh, even they inspire the others, you know. Yes. What happens if someone wants to go to one of your dance classes and doesn't have a partner, then what do you do? Oh yes, like um, the first thing I will uh, always invite them to come and I offer like a, a partner to them, or I will be even their partner, because uh, it's always better to, well, it's not that good to dance alone in a way. And by having a partner, you will um, uh, pick up the, uh, the motion much better, and, uh, and sometimes as a leader, um, you get stronger, when you have a partner, and as a follower, you learn to, um, um, like, a, in a way to feel together with your partner. You see, that's why we need that. You've worked certainly very successfully with a lot of seniors, but you've also done a youth jive competition. Oh, yes. What's that like? Well, uh, I work with uh, young kids, uh, actually, from five years uh, up to whatever. But uh, the uh, very, uh, one very rewarding was uh, really uh, the uh, jive competition that we did uh, in Lively uh, with uh, some of my students. And uh, they, uh, they were giving all their best and uh, they kept uh, the whole uh, room that time full of uh, enthusiasm because the um, jive is a very, very uh, fun dance in a way, you see? And you really also with jive, you need to feel your partner. So, you need oh, to know exactly. And you need to uh, make sure you understand the lead and everything. But it's, it comes so quick that sometimes you don't even think. Mm -hmm. You just feel the music and uh, you follow your partner, whatever he decides to do. 
Have you, uh, I'm, I'm going to assume that you have taught or worked with the bride and groom who want to yes. do their first dance together. And I shouldn't assume that it's always a waltz. Have you had them try something else other than a waltz? Oh, yes, they did. Some people, they did a beautiful rumba. Um, because a rumba, it's a, it's a very, it's a slow dance too. I even had some people starting with a, a slow dance and then going to a beautiful jive. So it was uh, very exciting because uh, you could see even the whole room like uh, getting excited. Well, uh, it, my daughter and son-in-law, for their first dance, they did a tap dance. Oh, there you go. You never know what people exactly. are going to do. Um, how would people get hold of you if they're interested in social dancing? How do they get hold of you? Well, uh, I am on, um, on um, like, a, on internet and everything and uh, usually like uh, they talk to each other a lot mm -hmm. of people they 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 call me because they say oh you were teaching my kids or you were teaching my friends and uh, I would love to dance even if I don't know anything but uh, so, I would like so to you're out there Jan Fregonese, Fregonese and you're also at Parkside you can take a class yes. at Parkside so yes. people will be able to find you Absolutely. Jan thank you for visiting us today and encouraging all of us to dance and I'm glad that you think that maybe John McHenry and I can tango together around the building but you know what I do believe I want to lead <laughs> well that's the thing <laughs> Thanks, most of the time is like that but it's better if there's only one one good I'll try to behave yes. our next guest is not a social dance teacher but the highly acclaimed ballet and modern dancer here in Sudbury, Denise Vitali. We'll herald Denise's entrance in with the Russian composer Tchaikovsky, who began work on the Nutcracker in 1891 and continued working on it in America at the opening of Carnegie Hall. But no, Tchaikovsky didn't come to Sudbury on that visit. Sadly, John McHenry has put his foot down and we won't be dancing to this one. Enjoy the march from Tchaikovsky's The Nutcracker.
I'm Judy Strawn, and you're listening to Arts at Nine on CKLU 96.7 Radio. You're watching us on Eastlink Television, or you're listening to us on our, our podcast, Arts at Nine, where you actually have to spell the word nine to find us. In front of me is Denise Vitale, Sudbury's real-life sugar plum fairy. Denise Vitale has been part of the Sudbury arts community for over 50 years. She runs a highly successful Sudbury School of Dance, has collaborated with a huge number of local artists, theater groups, churches, and organizations, and is artistic director of Earth Dancers. Welcome to the show, Denise. Thank you. What do you think of when you hear the Nutcracker? Christmas. <laughs> do you, who doesn't? Who doesn't? Did you ever dance the Nutcracker? Um, no. <laughs> no? No, no. Um, Mrs. Pell, my dance teacher, she uh, had um, uh, a semi-professional company, and it was mostly modern. And we did a lot of uh, contemporary work through her. We performed through the churches and through northern Ontario. Um, I did do some work. Yes, I did learn some of the work from, from the Nutcracker, from, from the Land of Sweets. But to say I did it within company on stage, no. But you, have you choreographed to the, the music? Um, yes, I actually, with my own students, um, for an end-of-year recital, we did excerpts from the Nutcracker. Um, and, you know, you take, you take the work. You don't change it mm -hmm. unless your child or your dancer can't do it. Yeah. It so touches the heart when we hear it. It's, it. it's so familiar to all of us, and I think we do the same as you. We think about Christmas. Your dance journey began as a young child here in Sudbury, dancing with Teeny Pell and other people. Tell us a bit about your dance journey. Um, I was very young, um, and it was um, purely accidental. I have, uh, I, as a young child, when I was about four or five, my feet were not the happiest of feet. And the doctor, that was a family doctor, he suggested that my mom put me into ballet. And so we found our way to Barbara Cook. That's going back, like, uh, I hate to say it, 60 years. <laughs> Ouch. Um, incredible teacher. Uh, and, and that's the start of my journey uh, with Barbara Cook. I stayed with her until I was about grade seven, where I took a tumble down a flight of stairs and ended up in a cast. And uh, I stopped for a while, and then I met Mrs. Powell, and uh, she encouraged me uh, to come back into the dance studio. I think it was about grade 11, somewhere around there. And then you danced until you decided it was time to go to what, Toronto? Is that where you went to maybe make your mark? Or uh, Yeah, make my mark. <laughs> uh, not really uh, knowing that I get homesick. Um, I'm, I'm a Sudbury girl. I'm a Coppercliff girl. I'm very close to my family. And uh, yes, I did leave Sudbury um, early, early 20s, I think very, very early 20s, and I was down there. Um, maybe about half a year. I survived half a year, and I found myself running out of a subway station to go home to my apartment, and I thought, well, what am I doing? So I left, and I came home. And so what was that like then to have this world of dance probably in your dreams and to leave and come back and say, that's not for me. What am I doing? How did you get your legs back under you? That was... Um, that was difficult. I'll be very honest about that. It was extremely, extremely difficult. I became ill, 
Um, so I just literally stopped dancing. When I came home, I stepped away from the dance studio for about half a year, I think, or a few months anyways. I just, I needed to heal. Um, I, it's, that was so long ago. All I remember from that time era that it was, I needed to step away from dancing and, and um, take a break. And I think that was probably the best thing that I did was to actually take a physical and mental break from dancing. And then I slowly went back to it. And I think, you know, when you think of the, the impact that you've had on so many students over the years, I'll bet you having had that happen to you and knowing what they're feeling or knowing what it's like, that's probably added a great deal to what you've given students. Um, yeah, you, you're, you're dead on. Um, I'm very careful with the, the, the children that I teach, uh, letting them know that this is a difficult life. Um, you, you, there has to be something in you that drives you to do what you do because it's very singular. It's, um, you, you are competing against yourself. You're pushing yourself to an end where, same as you're an athlete, really. You're an athlete, and you're an athlete that's competing with yourself and amongst others, too, because it's a very competitive world. Um, so I do let my students know that, yes, if you want to go on this journey, I'm behind you. Th this is what to expect on the way. It's, it's such a tough journey, and I can imagine you working with, with teenagers who are about 18 or so and wanting to go off and become a dancer. What happens if you recognize that you are not the body type. You don't tell them that, but they are not the body type. You feel like they're not going to make it, but they have this passion. What do you do in a situation like that? Step back and um, think before I speak. <laughs> I, uh, I, I assess um, what is driving that dancer, what that, that person, why do they want to do this? Um, not all body shapes will will survive or can uh, go into the world of classical ballet, but there's so many there's so many other directions that they can go. There's uh, the modern world, there's contemporary, there's, uh, if they're good jazz dancers, it's a hard life too. Um, there's the research in, in behind, there's uh, working with the body. So if they have the knowledge of dance, they can work with the physical end of it. If the dancer's injured, they can go in that direction. I do talk to the child uh, or the student if they're 17, 18 years old, and this is what you want to do. Uh, I did face that a couple of years ago, and we sat down. I said, you're not a ballet body. You need to understand that. But you have the heart and the passion of a dancer, and this is the direction that I think you'll succeed in. Is modern more forgiving? Oh, yes. <laughs> it is. It is. It's still, it's still demanding, but it's, um, you don't have to have that perfect body. What has kept you going for 50 years? I really don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, just during this past, uh, what, seven months, six months, I had a taste of being somewhat retired, and I thought, well, this is what I've been missing out on. <laughs> I kind of like this. Did you like it? I, I thought you'd be itching to get back. Uh, well, I was, but at the same time, I was, I was enjoying that moment of, no deadlines. There weren't any deadlines. I didn't have to have classwork done. I didn't have to have music. Didn't have to have choreography. Uh, didn't have to deal with all all the the the, the ins and outs that go with being a dance teacher. Because you're not just a dance teacher. I'm dealing with five year olds, six, seven, twelve year olds. God bless them. Uh, Seventeen year olds. God bless them. And adults. I'm working with adults too. And and you get everything. And so I didn't have that. I didn't have that um, 
having to step into the studio and think, what am I going to get today? So it was, it was interesting. It, it was interesting. I'm back teaching now, and I'm still loving it. Can you tell us just a little bit about Earth Dancers? You must be very proud of that. Um, yeah, I am. I, I was just talking about that this weekend with my sisters, and and I keep I keep saying it's the kids, it's the kids. And my sister kindly said to me, she said, if you weren't there, it wouldn't happen. And I said, kind of, yeah, it might not. It might fall apart. But the kids are the driving force. And um, I am proud of them because it started 25, 26 years ago, just out of a whim of a group of young teenagers that just wanted to dance. And it's accelerated. And uh, they're becoming well-known, not just in the community, but they're well-known out of the community. It is absolutely well-known. You've raised thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars uh, for, for the earth, for the environment, yeah. and we all thank you for that. You. Denise, um, before we stop our chat, I would like to give you a little test, if you don't mind. Oh, dear, dear, dear. It only requires one-word answers. I At may fail this. You won't. I'll mark kindly. At the end of each television episode of the Actors Studio, host James Lipton borrowed from the Bernard Pivot and Marcel Proust questionnaires, and he would find out some interesting things about his guest's personality. We've adapted the Lipton's questionnaire, and now we would like to ask you the Arts at Nine questionnaire. One-word answers, whatever comes to mind. Are you ready? Okay. What is your favorite word? Dance. What is your least favorite word? Pain. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? By environment. What oh, turns? Sorry, there was many more words. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> well, there'll be no marks deducted. <laughs> what turns you off? Negativity. What's the sound or noise that you love? Birds. What's the sound or noise you hate? Uh, honking. What profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt? None. Oh, yes, yes, actor. What profession would you not like to do? Working in a store. What's your principal fault? I'm a procrast procrastinator. <laughs> and what would you like to be remembered for? Again, 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 and again. <laughs> Denise Vitali, thank you for sharing the world of dance with us and for being so inspiring to many, many dancers in the past 50 years. Thank you. Our final piece of music is by Sudbury's Jacinthe Trudeau. She is a Canadian junior fiddle champion, a Canadian fiddler entertainer of the year. Her first CD, Echo, won her a Canadian Aboriginal Music Award. Grab your partner, it's time to square dance, or maybe just do a jig. Here is Jacinthe Trudeau's J's and G's.
Judy Strawn, and I'm back with John McHenry, Artistic Director of the Sudbury Theatre Centre. John, I'm sorry I tried to lead earlier when we were doing the tango. Well, that's okay, Judy. I, th- really, I, I didn't have a problem, but why did you think you could get me above your head? <laughs> Just exuberance, I guess. Joy and exuberance. Right. So, John... Uh, Anything more on dance since you've heard all of these wonderful dancers? Yeah, well, it's funny. As I was walking Stephanie out of the building, um, did you know that Jan was Stephanie's husband's dance partner on Easter Seals Dancing with the Stars? No, I didn't. And did you know that Denise Vitale taught Jan how to dance? (laughs) Who knew we had all of these connections today? And we always say Sudbury is a very small community. You can get to know lots of people, and we have many, many artists who are extraordinary. We do. But don't you have a dance story? (laughs) Well, I'm not a dancer, and so I really don't have many dance stories, but I used to love to, believe it or not, when I was in high school, we did this act where we had to learn how to Charleston. So I just loved the Charleston. When I first started teaching, and uh, there were many social gatherings, a group of 18 of us went to Florida on a March break. And when we were in Florida, we went to Rosie O'Grady's. Now, Rosie O'Grady's was a a big bar with not only a huge bar, but it also had a stage. And it had a live band. And so we would get up and just dance away. And the music often let me do the Charleston. (laughs) So... With a few beverages and a Charleston, I actually got called up on the stage to be presented with the Rosie O'Grady garter of the night (laughs) because I had danced so much. And then, you won't believe this, the next person who was called up on the stage after me was Bing Crosby's son. And he sang, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. So, John, I can say I appeared on the stage with Bing Crosby's son. Oh, my goodness. That's fantastic. Judy, I think you have a story for every day of the week that covers every subject. And most of them I don't want you to know. Let's talk about next week's show, John. Who do we have? I'm looking forward to next week because Tyler Fovell is coming in the sculptor of the uh, Stompin' Tom statue outside the arena. He's coming in to be a part of our show. And also a great supporter of the arts, Catherine Smith from Sudbury Jazz Festival is coming in to talk jazz. Yes, and when because she'll be talking jazz, I imagine we'll be playing a few cool pieces of jazz. Maybe jazz, maybe we can dance again, John. That was so fun today. I think we've done our dancing for... We want everyone to send a shout out to communications with an S, communications at sudburytheatre.ca. Tell us who your favorite Sudbury artist is. We encourage you to click on to the donate button on CKLU Radio or the Sudbury Theatre Centre homepage or support your favorite arts organization. Thanks to those who helped with this week's show, Megan Karchi from the Sudbury Arts Council. STC's Alana Renshaw and Ben Whiteman. Downtown Sudbury's Maggie LeBlanc. And the Canada Council for the Arts. I'm Judy Strawn. And I'm John McHenry. And remember what Einstein said, creativity is contagious. Pass it on. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. Bye for now.